Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. And unfortunately, I am here by myself tonight because, as I said last week, Patricia Kirkman took a fall in her home, woke up in the hospital with a fractured pelvis. So she is now in rehab And they are expecting to send her home, I think, any day now because she's been there almost a week. Poor thing. So I know you have been sending her messages and prayers for healing, and she's so appreciative of everybody that has reached out to her. She was doing so well, and then all of a sudden uh, this happened, and she told me when we spoke the other day, she said, Patricia, I don't know what happened. I was in my house, walking around, doing my thing. The next thing I know, I'm waking up in the hospital. So anyhow, she will be back. She can't wait to come back because we have so many exciting guests. We've got a great guest tonight. I know PK really wanted to be here for this because we have Andrea Perrin again, and she's going to be talking to us about everything from the haunting she experienced to UFOs. So we've got a great show tonight with Andrea. And anyways, uh, so continue to send your messages out to PK. She really loves hearing from everybody. It it brings her spirits new joy, and she she really does love hearing from all of you. So thank you for sending things off to her. And again, you can find her contact information on our website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com, or at patriciakirkman.com. Be sure to go to our Facebook page and like and follow us. We've got, as usual, leading-edge stories, wonderful stories, scary stories that you don't want to miss. And also follow us on Twitter so you can hear what else we're up to. We're always up to something. So you don't want to miss that. And in the coming weeks, as I mentioned, we're going to be having other guests that you haven't heard from before, like Covert Disclosure. He has promised to answer all of our questions and send back the audio files, which we will be playing for you. And as mentioned, Captain Kramer has surfaced, and he wants to be coming back to the show, so we'll hear the latest and greatest from him. And as you may remember, Captain Randy Kramer was the first guest that we had on the show that warned everybody about the virus and said it was going to be a rough go, and he had inside information on all of it. So we can't wait to have him back. Can't wait to get Patricia Kirkman back with us, and we hope, and I hope, all of you are staying safe out there and finding a good, peaceful path to walk. Now, PK did mention 
she wanted me to tell you all, in case you didn't know, that this Friday we've got a strawberry full moon. Now, what that means is it's a time to care for yourself, to seek beauty in your surroundings, and most importantly, this will go right along with all the current events, incite positive change. So if you're still ruminating on the cathartic air of last month's blue moon, you need to prepare for a major change of pace because on Friday, June 5th, the full moon will arrive and it's in the fire sign of Sagittarius, the bold adventurer and far-seeking archer of the zodiac. So where May saw us riding the waves of our emotions, The June 2020 full moon will ask us to seek out the fastest current to sail toward our desires. So we definitely want to be doing that. But before we can raise the anchor, we also go through a lunar eclipse, and that will ask us to get rid of some baggage. So whatever doesn't work for you anymore, time to just let it go. Now, Sagittarians, remember, aim their arrows and hit their mark. So, in turn, when the full moon appears in this sign, it gives a boost to anything that you're targeting or goals you are trying to reach. So, in other words, this month's full moon will likely be a high-energy period in which we may feel compelled to work harder, chase our passions, and even take some risks we normally wouldn't. So depending on your personality, this influence could prove to be a blessing or a curse because as much as Sagittarian full moon can promote forward thinking and precise execution, it can just as easily prompt us to act recklessly. So you don't want to do that. Sagittarius does have a quick energy to it. So you need to think things through and not just go ahead bullheaded. And avoid trampling over your coworkers or your family members or making a hurtfully blunt comment to anybody that you care about and even the people you don't. You want to, again, walk a path, path of peace. So just remember this as we move forward. That strawberry moon is coming, so make the best of it. Use that energy to make sure that you get your dreams coming true. So tonight, as I mentioned... We've got a great guest. We've had Andrea on before. She was tremendous. Now, I'm just going to give you a little background because her parents, Roger and Carolyn Perrin, purchased the home of their dreams, which kind of turned into a little bit of a nightmare. They purchased the home in December of 1970 in Rhode Island. It was the Arnold Estate located just beyond the village of Harrisville, and it seemed idyllic. Best place to raise a family, and the couple moved their five daughters in, Andrea being the oldest. But what happened was there were a lot of secrets in that house, and there were time-space portals in that house and all kinds of exciting things that went on. And Andrea came here to the show a few weeks ago to tell us all about that because, as it turns out, this house has portals to the past and to the future. But Andrea has more, so much more to share with us. Now, she's also the author of House of Darkness, House of Light. If you haven't read it, it's still available. You need to get that. I believe it's two volumes. Excellent, excellent book. It has all of the information about the Conjuring House. 
But tonight we're going to be talking about all of Andrea's experiences, or as much as we can fit into this hour and a half, from hauntings to UFOs. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me back, Patricia. My first time with you was just delightful, and I know that we only scratched the surface, but tonight we'll go deeper. But I did want to tell you that um, House of Darkness, House of Light is actually a trilogy. And the third volume, yeah, there's three. And it's, you know, volume one, volume two, volume three. And they're all available on Amazon. And um, it is worldwide. And it is, uh, the volume three is the one that most people uh, claim, you know, is most intense, even though the second volume is very dense and dark and has some of the the, uh, most, you know, profoundly earth, shattering moments of the experiences that we had there and includes all of our um, interactions with the Warrens. Volume three was the extrication from the house in 1980 and all the, the impact that that had on our family. Um, we, it fractured our family. We never all lived under the same roof again after that. Um, my sister Nancy was so upset that my parents had sold the house to the abutting landowners that she went to them. She was their babysitter and she went to them and she said, you know, I know you want to uh, restore the house to its, you know, original colonial splendor and stay on uh, voluntarily as the caretaker indefinitely. Um, And so our whole family left without Nancy and moved to Georgia and it was very, it was really hard. Um, it, I mean, it, it took her, I can't say in her heart that she ever really forgave my parents for selling the farm, um, even though she's made peace with, with it. With their decision, right? Andrea, you weren't happy with that decision as well. No, oh, no. You see, because I thought that my family was a democracy instead of a dictatorship. And uh, I was in college. And, you know, in my senior year of college, um, I had my thesis board. I had, you know, like a bajillion things going on. And my parents thought that that was not something that they should offload on me while I was up to my eyeballs in work. Um, And when they did tell me, um, I mean, I, I wept. I just wept uncontrollably. I hyperventilated. I could not believe. I thought that house was going to be our family home forever, that it would right. be our inheritance, that it would right. be uh, our, our permanent home place. You know, and it, my father could not, even, um, could not even remotely control my reaction when he called me to tell me that they had sold it to uh, our neighbors virtually, even though they were, you know, 70, 80 acres away, they were still our neighbors in Massachusetts. And um, he had to put my mother on the phone. And she said what finally calmed me down. And what she said to me is, Annie, we had to sell the house. I would not survive another winter in this house. And so it was give up my home or keep my mother. And so there was no, 
there was no argument there. There was no, I mean, it, on, on, the, on the great scales of Libra in the universe, one so far outweighed the other that I just said, you know, no matter where you want to go, Mom, no matter what you want to do, I'll go with you and we'll start fresh. And even though it broke my heart, it fractured my family, was, uh, it was what had to happen. And, you know, now in my 61st, fast approaching my 62nd year of life, I look back on it and I realize that everything, everything happens precisely the way it's supposed to in its right and proper time or it would happen another way. And so I look back on it now and I understand that it is what preserved my mother's life and she will, God willing, um, be 81 years old in uh, August and my father will turn 85. So I have, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate at my age to still have both of my parents. Um, And, you know, I know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that every day, especially because uh, as you know, we lost my baby sister, April Uh, in uh, 2017 to uh, a, uh, a, a very a tragic tragic end um and it was she was she was just a couple of weeks shy of her 52nd birthday and um she had uh, she was scheduled for some surgery at the following morning and it was very dangerous surgery it was to replace two bones in her neck in her cervical spine uh and she was terrified about it she was truly scared and the doctor ordered um, some specific medication for her. The pharmacist gave her the wrong dosage, and it stopped her heart the night before. And when my niece went to pick her up to take take her to the hospital the next morning, uh, she found her body. Oh, and it just, it, you know, um, it was a fentanyl patch, and mm. it was the wrong dose. And... You know, I just, I want people to know, anybody within earshot of this, fentanyl is poison. It is toxic. And it will make you feel better until it makes you feel dead. Um, 13 to 15 people a day in this country die because of fentanyl. And so it is important to me that my sister not die in vain and that perhaps just simply by telling people this to find another way another method, another drug that will help with your chronic pain. Let it not be fentanyl. It should be absolutely outlawed. And unfortunately, because the pharmaceutical industry has such a heavy hand uh, in Congress, that's not going to happen. So we only have a choice, one choice, and that's simply not to use it. Uh, because well, unfortunately, you know, yeah, yeah well, you know, important. the medical industry, the kickbacks on the drugs from the pharmacies, the pharmaceutical industry, which is what it is, to the medical industry, which is what it is, um, is, I mean, the, the blood money changing hands uh, in, in this, in that realm is mind boggling. Uh, and I've it done really my is. research and on I'm it. I'm right with you on, on everything that you're saying, and I, I <coughs> completely agree. I've been saying the same thing for years, that you have to follow the money and understand mm-hmm. a lot more about this and not just put blind faith in the people that are prescribing these things. You need to do your homework, and 
This is yep. a great message, yep. Andrea, and I, I truly support what you're saying. And I'm so sorry you lost your sister so young. I know all of you were so close, and you still are. Today. Yes, well, we still are. And, yeah. you know, April has made her presence known to every member of our family a multitude of times since that's her passing. That, that's I mean, good she has. And you know what, Patricia? Had I not grown up in the environment that I did and being able to interact with spirit and know that spirit exists, I don't know if I would have recognized it when she came through. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is um, every, I, I think of my time there as a blessing. I mean, my sister Christine, when we left, she's like, I never want to see this place again. I never want to come (laughs) back here. Cindy was the same way. I never want to see this place again. I never want to come back here. Uh, My father was heartbroken. I think you were so... You were so able to wrap your mind around all of the things that were happening. You had a depth of understanding that no one else had in your family, and your poor father was not equipped. I mean, and as you mentioned, the male energy, any male energy in that house is going to have a hard time. And when we were all doing the live stream and I was speaking with the couple now in the house and the man, yes. uh, the husband, he did say he has a hard time in the house, just like your dad. So yeah. that energy is really not meant for for men because it, it, he was, he agreed completely with what you recounted happened to your dad, and he said same thing for him. So that yep. energy is not meant for guys, and you no. knew how to flow with it, and you did. So you learned a lot from being there. I did, and my mother said the same thing, too. You know, I mean, when I was writing the books, um, I relied very heavily on the recollections of all of my family. Uh, And thankfully, April was still with us um, as I was writing the books and contributed enormously to them. It's why I call it a collective memoir, because it's not just my memories, but that of every member of my family and in great depth. Um, And, you know, April, um, April loved the farm. And even though she had some hardships there and she had some turmoil there and, you know, there were difficulties that all of us experience um it was uh you know her memories of it encapsulated in the book uh are some of my most cherished passages now because it's all i've got left of her are her words yes well so it's terrific that you wrote this trilogy and again i want to encourage people to read it and get the books from amazon if you haven't read it yet because i know you're a great writer and you put this together in, with every uh, every attention to detail and what really happened so it's an amazing trilogy that people really need to to read because it's it's important i mean this so much happened but let's also talk a little bit at right now and we'll get back to the house about UFOs, because you're like a UFO magnet, from what I understand. Tell me about that. I am, and <laughs> I credit the spirits with that. I really am. It's you know I'm I'm a bit of a spirit magnet too, but it's just because I love them and I'm open to it. Um, but I really do believe that it was my foray into the fourth dimension and being able to interact and interrelate with the spirit realm 
that truly opened me up to the other dimensions. Um, it was what pried wide open my third eye at a very young age. So uh, we hadn't been at the farm a year, not even a year. It was, I had just turned 13. Uh, so it was our first year there uh, in October um, that I saw an entire flotilla of ships pass directly over that farmhouse. And it it was so beautiful. It was so magnificent. It was it was my personal paradigm shift. It changed everything. It fundamentally altered me as a human being, so when um, and blew my mind and, wide open. And you looked Pardon? up and you, you when you were that young and you looked up and you see these these ships flying overhead. What were you thinking at that time? What went through your mind? I don't know because it's as though everything went blank. I don't, uh, what I recall of it, <coughs> excuse me, and I wrote about it at length in my new book, which we'll get to, but um, I, all I remember is that um, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear birds chirping. It was like everything went completely silent. And then mm-hmm. after it had passed over, the next conscious recollection I have of, uh, is of standing in the kitchen. Um, I must have walked back into the house at some point, but I have no recollection of that. All I remember is seeing this flotilla, the, the, what I call the mothership, the center vessel, was so large that even though I did not have a well-developed depth perception at that age, so I can't tell you uh, you know, what size it was in relation to something else. But, you know, I don't know if it was the size of Manhattan, if it was, you know, I mean, it was massive. It was absolutely massive. And it looked like an upside-down city. Like you just look oh. at, at, you know, a conventional city and then uh-huh. flip it like a pancake. And all the protrusions of the tall buildings coming out the bottom instead of going up from the ground level. And it was completely surrounded with matching geometric vessels. So there were two perfectly round vessels, two square vessels, two triangular vessels, two uh, rectangular vessels. They were all, all geometry. Um, and uh, interestingly, I was, you know, pretty much a straight-A student throughout my entire academic career, um, except for math. I really struggled with math, but I never struggled with geometry. That was, that was my forte. That was like, I totally get geometry, totally. Don't ask me to do calculus. Don't ask me to do algebra. <laughs> Don't ask me, you know, I mean, honest to God, because it's, like it's like Greek to me. Um, but uh, geometry I got, and, uh, and I know that it had something to do with my, uh, my interaction with them, and I don't know, uh, I, I don't understand why I was out in the front yard by myself with four little sisters that were Klingons, you know, no, you know I know the reference to Star Trek is, is funny, but, you know, they were, they were Klingons. Wherever <laughs> I was, there they were. And so I don't understand how I was in the front yard by myself. 
or how I got there or what compelled me to go outside by myself. But it was an absolutely magnificent day, uh, just warm, balmy for uh, the end of October. Um, and um, the sky was crystal blue. Absolutely. All the leaves were changing on the trees. It was gorgeous. New England at its most picturesque best. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I looked up and the sky was full of multicolored cotton balls. Like every color you can imagine and then a hundred colors that you've never seen before. And then I saw the shadow coming from the northwest heading southeast and it what i saw was a point uh and it was the the front portion of the vessel of the ship and it was so large that it blocked out the sun and then i just looked up and i just stood there and stared and stared and stared at it i remembered specifically not seeing any seams on any of the smaller vessels. They all looked like they were one thing, you know, that they weren't put together, that they were solid no, unto involved. themselves. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, um, but, the, but the main vessel was very complicated. It had, you know, many protrusions and lots of lights, and, you know, there was all kinds of activity um, around the main vessel and the... the um, the escort vessels, I guess mm-hmm. you would say, uh-huh. were exactly the same. The, all the ones on the left were mirror image reflections of the ones on the right. So if there was a round one on the left, there was at some uh, at a distance from the main vessel, <clears throat> at exactly the opposite side of that was another round one. So they were like traveling in pairs around it as though they were escorting it. And it was some 40 years later. And I had done a lot of research about this and had never found anything about it. Um, in, in all my research, in all the years that I looked and looked and looked, and about 40 years later, I was at a, uh, a conference um, out in Nevada um, called the Starworks Symposium that I attend almost every year. Mm-hmm. And I listened to one of the lecturers talking about that specific year and that specific flotilla traveling down from the Arctic Circle, going across the um, the, the Canadian Maritimes, coming down through uh, the eastern seaboard of the United States, and right around southern Maryland, it hop-skipped across the Atlantic, did a full tour of Western Europe, and when the um, when the uh, Royal Air Force scrambled their fighter jets to go after it, it mm-hmm. disappeared in a fraction of a second and went right back up over the Arctic Circle and was gone off the radar. It was gone. But, okay, here's the thing. It allowed itself to be seen on radar. They don't have to be seen on radar. That's their okay. decision, not mm-hmm. ours. And so, you know, the thing that, I mean, I sat there in that, I felt like an idiot. You know, first (laughs) of all, everybody around me 
has more degrees than a thermometer. And, you know, I've, you know, I've got a couple, but yeah, you know, big deal, English and philosophy. I mean, these people are scientists. These people are physicists. You know, they study quantum mechanics. They, you know, I mean, they're all brainiacs. And I'm sitting there crying like a little kid, just sobbing, because I had my experience at precisely the time that it happened in my life validated by one of these brainiacs. And the question that he asked that was most important is one that I carry in me to this day. And what he said was, according to the population at the time, that flotilla of ships went directly over the heads of a minimum of 60 million people. There were 10,000 reports. Oh, so many. out of That's 60 terrific. million people, 10,000 people reported seeing something weird in the sky. Mm-hmm. Now, if one, I was a little kid. I was not going to, I didn't know MUFON existed, and I don't think it did at the yeah, time. I don't think it did that, um, no. And, um, you know, who do you call? Ghostbusters? You know, I mean, who do you call? <laughs> uh, and it was, I mean, I couldn't even tell my mother. I didn't, I didn't have the, the, the I I didn't even have the words to describe what I had seen. And so I didn't tell my mom for for quite some time. Yeah, it sounds like it was a bit disorienting because, like you said, you didn't even know why you were out there to begin with. Usually your sisters were with you and they were not. And then you found yourself, after it all happened, back in the house. You couldn't remember how you got there. So it must have been disorienting. I know. I was just, I was, I had pulled the lace curtains back in the kitchen and I was looking up into the sky and my mother asked me what I was looking at. And I don't even know what I said to her, but, you know, I must have responded because I was raised well and very polite. And, you know, if my mother asked me a question, I must have answered it some way, somehow. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it certainly wasn't telling her what I had just experienced or why I was back in the house. Uh, now, do, do you think it, you had any missing time, Andrea? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I give thanks mm-hmm. for it because really, really, Earth, really? I mean, how oppressive could 3D possibly be? You know, I mean, we live in a, in a very oppressive three-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. This is, it. it it's it's not exactly a laugh riot down here. And um, <laughs> I'm I'm really grateful for any time I spend off planet. And sometimes I ask to go. Um, I know that I have been to my home planet. I know so where my this? home planet is. Yes. But that's yes. great. So you have full consciousness. Yep. That's wonderful. So they didn't wipe your memories about some of these events. No, they wiped my memory about some stuff. Um, but not but all. I, but not all. No, mm-hmm. they let me retain what I can comfortably retain. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to overstress me. Uh, they're very, very conscientious, very loving beings. But uh, the reason that I know where my home planet is is because one of my friends, uh, who I know from the Star Wars Symposium, 
um, we've known each other for, I guess, seven or eight years now. And we were standing in the dinner line um, at the big fancy dinner that they have every year for the speakers and the guests. And uh, I had spoken that day and somebody had come up to me and started asking me that question. You know, have you ever been off planet? Do you ever remember seeing something? And I said, yes. I said, and she was standing right next to me. I said, yes, I've been to a planet that is blue on blue on blue on blue, every shade of blue that you can imagine, and every other shade that exists through this fine mist. It's so beautiful. And she turned to me and she said, and it has two moons. And I'm like, yes, I knew it. I knew you were one of my own. I knew it. You know, and I mean, and it's in the, it's in the Pleiades. It's in the Pleiades. It's, we're, we're Pleiadian. Um, and, uh, you know, good to know who the family is. You know, they don't <laughs> nice send money, by the way. Oh, they don't even know what money is. You know, it would be <laughs> nice, though. You know, occasionally if I would get, you know, a check out of the blue. That um, would be nice. But, yeah, no, they're, they're the light beings. They're the light, what we call the light beings that manifest as light workers on this now, planet. Tell me, in your experiences with the Pleiadians, um, how did they present to you? Do they look human like us, or how did they look? They look similar to us. Um, they are humanoid, and they're, they're called the tall whites for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. They're very tall, very slender. So how I ended up with this body, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, really, because really, you know, Patricia, <laughs> honest to God, you know, I have an extra toddler on me that doesn't belong here. Something the size of a toddler. And it's probably, I blame COVID-19 because, you know, I've been craving calcium and their message is eat what you crave. And, you know, it's not my fault that there's calcium in ice cream. That's um, right. And so for the last since March, I've been, you know, to hell with it, and I've just been eating all the ice cream I want. Well, I have now finally realized that I have to resort to the chalky white tablets instead, which are tasteless, rude, and offensive. But still, uh, you know, one cannot live on ice cream alone, but it is comfort food. It's great comfort <laughs> so, food. Yes. It is. And uh, they're very tall. They're slender. Um, uh, wild, kind of wild hair, at least the one that I, ha- that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know her. This is a strange story and your listeners are going to probably think, okay, she's off the wall <laughs> and that's okay. I don't care if people think that I really don't, I don't care. I you know, think you I'm find not our here audience to... is, is so intelligent. I always say this. The Supernatural mm-hmm. Girls audience, I think, is the most intelligent audience in radio history. And the questions that come in, the comments that come in, are all just so basically understanding of things like this that you're about to present. So don't worry about the audience. They do understand these things on a, on a very deep level like you do. So please, tell us this story. Okay, good. I'm so glad. And I knew that we connected for an important reason. I knew that we did. Uh, and I'm so, and I thank them for indulging me because, oh, you know, earlier, as I had mentioned 
you know, that the validation that I received uh, in terms of understanding uh, the flotilla and mm-hmm. extrapolating out why there were only 10,000 reports for something that 60 million people should have seen had they been <laughs> looking up um, and why and why that. I mean, my question is, was it just because there were some of us that were supposed to see it and the rest mm-hmm. did not? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, or what? And that seems, you know, um, that seems the most logical, rational explanation. But that aside, um, it was validation and vindication for me that I had lived with in silence for all those years, you know, not shared with anybody because I just didn't think people would understand. So I kept it, you know, pretty predominantly to myself, only my family and my closest friends knew that I had had that experience as a child. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, about ooh, five years ago, maybe a little longer, um, I got a phone call from a friend in Rhode Island who told me that he had had a visit um, that night by his bed and that he was wide awake um, and that this tall, beautiful figure with almond-shaped eyes Um, had come and hovered over the side of him at the bed and spoke with him. And she spoke with him telepathically. um, And he understood everything that she said. Uh, And he wasn't frightened of her. She's completely non-threatening. She's just the pure embodiment of love. And he asked her her name. And she was wearing something that he, he was former military. So he described it as something akin to Kevlar. Um, but all white, and she, when he asked her name, she tapped on um, a plate on her shoulder near over her heart, and letters um, of the alphabet raised up out of it, and it said Hudel, H-U-D-E-L. Hmm. And she told him that he needed to contact me, that I would know who she is, and that he should share their encounter, and that she cannot come to me herself. So he called me the next day and told me about this, and I dropped the phone. I dropped it. I mean, it was like I had never heard anyone say her name before. And Mm -hmm. on some instinctive, almost DNA level, I knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had never heard her name spoken. Um, and so, I mean, I had to process that with him and he had to process his experience of her with me. And he said that she told him how much she loves me and how much she, uh, how proud she is of me doing my good work on the planet Uh, and a number of other things. I mean, she stayed with him for quite a period of time. And and then he had to sit there for hours just waiting to call me because he wasn't going to call me at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning. So he waited until until about 10, chomping at the bit to call and tell me about this interaction with her. Um, And so we talked for quite a while about that. And then about six months later, I get a call from my friend Matthew in Germany. And he's Mm -hmm. had a visitation. And then about a year after that, I get another call from a woman in Ireland who's a friend of mine. And she said, you'll never guess who came to see me. I'm like, 
is her name Hudel? And she's like, yeah, how'd you know? Well, you know, like, okay, all right. So she's making the rounds, you know, around the planet? What? And then she came to my nephew, my great nephew, who was mm-hmm. only 11 years old at the time. And mm-hmm. she told him the same thing and told him to go talk to his Auntie Annie and that she would know. Well, what she told Paul and what she told my friend Brian was that she can't come to me because she is me in another dimension. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I have chills. That is so fascinating because I was thinking this all along. Why couldn't she come to you? So this is why. So even though she is from another dimension, there is something that prevents her from making contact with you in this dimension. Right. Hmm. And I don't understand. But I have a picture of her because my friend Brian is an artist and he's an energy painter. And he woke up a couple of years ago. It was probably he had just gone to bed and um, he just got this jolt of energy. We were at an event together in Sault Ste. Marie with, I don't know, 1,200 other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And he knows me. He knows I'm a smoker and he knew I'd be coming down at some point during the night. And he got up and painted her while he was in his hotel room, painted her, what he saw when she came to him. And then he went downstairs and he stood in front of the elevators for hours and waited for me to come down from my middle of the night uh, ch- chat with the galactic family and for me to have my you know, middle of the night cigarette. And so the elevators are open and I'm there in my jammies and robe thinking nobody's up. I can get away with this. And and there's Brian standing there holding a picture of Hudel. (laughs) And she's, uh, she's in my new book. Now tell us a little bit about this new book. You've been teasing us somewhat. So Hudel is in the book. Is this book more about your UFO encounters? It is. It's uh it's a lot about it's a it's about everything. It's um but yes, it's called a wonder to behold, guideposts to intergalactic engagement with humanity. Oh, I love um, it. Um it's nice got title. a long subtitle, but they made me do it. It wasn't my own idea. They gave the whole thing to me. And it all exploded out of me um a few months after April passed away. Um, and I had some experiences that were so life-altering um, in terms of them coming to comfort me and to help me through the worst loss of my life and the most, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, there's no hyperbole involved with me saying to you, and I will say straight away, I do not understand how my heart kept beating when my sister's Stopped. Yes, I understand and they helped that. me so hard. Well, like, thank goodness you had such enlightened helpers to hold your yeah. hand spiritually and physically through this terrible, terrible, tragic, and unexpected loss. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's. Do, let me ask you: Do you feel then? And you do uh, feel that Hudel is telling the truth about this? She's you in another dimension. Do you feel that you are also part Pleiadian, even in this life? Yes, 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I I do. Um, and but I'm you know I'm one of ugh, countless hybrids on this planet. I'm I'm just I'm one of so many. Um, I just mm-hmm. found the courage to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And um, the book, uh, actually, the book is <clears throat> predominantly <clears throat> about the coming paradigm shift, which I've been talking to people incessantly about for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, when I published it last August, um, the paradigm shift had yet to arrive. Well, part of it had already. Um, but, you know, like the real big part, which is COVID-19, had yet to arrive, um, mm-hmm. even though I think it was already circumnavigating the globe because I got so sick I almost died last fall after mm-hmm. hanging out with a couple of British people at an event for the weekend, and like 30 of us at the event got this horrible thing that none of us had ever had before. Um, and... Um, so I think that they they brought it with them from Europe. Um, it was already yes. circulating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it just didn't have a name yet, and it right. hadn't been identified medically. But I really do think that you know, if if you know, God knows, if we ever get an accurate antibody test, then I'll get checked for the antibodies. But I'm pretty certain that I've already had it, um, yes, and it was horrible, way. and I was mm-hmm. sick for five weeks. Um, a long time. But. Um, yeah, it was a long time. Well, you know, plus I was on the road. I was doing one event after another after another. I never gave my body a chance to heal. Uh, you know, it was. I finally had to go literally have the blood sucked out of me and then put back in with a combination of liquid antibiotics, Compazine, uh, um, uh, because doing what they did to me at, at the hospital was like horrible. It was horrible, but... My blood was almost black when I finally went Ugh. to the clinic to, to be checked because my father's like, you are not getting on a plane and going back to Michigan for five weeks this sick. We got to go to the doctor. So he dragged me over to our family clinic right here in Winter Garden, Florida, and the husband and wife doctors that um, own the clinic jumped on it right away. And the first thing they did um, was, you know, test my blood. And I and I looked at it as they were drawing it, and I was like, um, something doesn't seem right here. And it had gone systemic bacterial uh, and oh. was in my blood. It was about, according to um, my female doctor, um, she said, I think you are about 48 hours away from your vital organs shutting down. There's no oxygen in your oh, blood. Oh, God. That is lovely, and huh? So, well, thank God yeah, you got, your so, dad got you to the clinic. Yeah, he did. And um, although, I, you know, I do feel that they would have intervened on my behalf. But still, you know, I needed, I needed some good medical care right here on planet. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they reoxygenated my blood and loaded me up with compazine because pulling so much blood out of me and then slowly putting it back in could be, you know, very upsetting to the system. Um, it had liquid antibiotics, liquid oxygen, uh, saline solution, compazine, and something else. I don't even know what. Um, and then it took two regimens of Cipro to uh, heal me from the um, infection. Um, meanwhile, I'm back on the road again because I got on a plane the next morning at 10 o'clock to go to, to Detroit. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, 
So that said, I I think I've already had it, but this is the paradigm shift. And well, if anybody doubts that, I, look at I, the I, world I, and the upheaval we're in oh, right now because of upheaval. a microscopic organism. Well, here's what I'd like to do, Andrea. I've got to take a very quick commercial break, but I want to come back and hear more about the shift that you've been anticipating for the last 10 years because obviously – you're one of the people who understands what's what's coming and what's here now, and I know people want to hear all about that. So stay tuned, everybody. We're going to take a short commercial break. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. We'll be right back. Pure essential oil, specialized mineral, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology, Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian. Beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. 
Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here tonight with my dear friend, Andrea Perrin. We are having a great conversation about all the things we love. Right now, we're talking about UFOs, Pleiadians, and a big paradigm shift. So, Andrea, you said you've been anticipating this for the last 10 years, and you're seeing, as we all are, a big change happening now. Tell us more about this. What is this all about? Well, first, during the commercial break, if anybody went to Amazon to try to find my book, it's not available. I have sold it privately. Yes, it's not available yet. It will be by the end of the month. Um, However, it will be available worldwide by the end of the month. But what I did was because it's loaded with uh, photographs that I have captured over the years, that I thought it was so important that they be in color. Um, I have I I printed the original first edition uh, in full interior color, and I mean eye popping stuff, big time stuff, um, and um, things that I've been told by some of the top ufologists, some of the top researchers in the world, nobody's got photographs like this, and so I oh, put I them in the book and them. I have them printed in color. Oh, huh. I'll send you a copy. Um, so, but see. anyway, wow. you know, most of the books about the paradigm shift and then boom, here it is. So I wrote uh, an extra extended um, chapter that I am right now, including working with, you know, with my, with my publisher that's only like partially open, um, but still, you know, they're doing their best and um, working back and forth with them to add this in along with some extra photographs that got inadvertently left out uh, the first time. And because I published it so quickly, I didn't have a chance to go through and make sure that every single thing that I had sent them had been included uh, because I wanted to have it for my readers in Sault Ste. Marie last August, which mm-hmm. I did and sold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. Good for you. And, I mean, it was just amazing. Um, it was just amazing to me uh, how they've been flying, so to speak. But um, uh, in the interim, 
here comes the paradigm shift, you know, COVID-19 and everything that subsequently is coming from it, which includes all the civil unrest, which includes everything that we're going through right now. Um, And so I just, yesterday or the day before, uh, I finished the addendum to it. And so now I just have to wait for them to lay it out. And then I will also print, um, that's when I will release the hardbound edition, and I will have them printed uh, also in full color edition, but the ones that go out on Amazon will not be in color. They'll all be in black and white. So if okay. if it matters to someone that they they want it in color, um, they can uh, pre-order it with me, or they can find me on my fan page, the Buttercup Brigade, and talk to me there about it. And as soon as it's available, um, I'll order up a boatload of them and start shipping them. Um, and I'm also revamping my website to accommodate this book as well, because I think in the grand scheme of things, it's probably the most important thing that I've ever done in my life. But well, I'll tell you, it was, it. it was um, the reason that I did it the way that I did and kept it in my large inner circle of readers um, worldwide was because I was concerned that maybe this is so intense that it's it's going to be difficult for people um, and it's going to blow a lot of minds. It's also going to open a lot of minds. Well, so I figured if I sold it to the people that I know who already know what I do based on having read the trilogy, that it would be a little bit more comfortable. Plus, these are also the same people that at all the different events that I attend around the country every year, I take very large groups of people outside and I give them a formal introduction to the galactic family. Um, and it's, it is uh, an amazing thing that happens. I mean, and it's not that they come when I call them. You know, it's not like calling the dog. It's not like, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> they're there you. already. Uh-huh. You know, it's just that they, at my request, will make their presence known to those in the group that are not fearful, those in the group that are, you know, aren't going to stroke out, those that are, and most people are ready for it. Because I tell mm-hmm. them before we even go outside, if you have any fear around this, any trepidation at all around this experience, don't do it. You know, don't. You know, we'll tell you about it when we come back in or when you feel that you're ready, maybe next year or the year after, come out with me then. Um, but that doesn't seem to deter them at all. And, uh, you know, I've I've had as many as a 1,000 people out with me at, at any given event um, introducing them to them. Uh, and that's the greatest joy of my life. Nothing, nothing matters more to me than this. That sounds and the so question, exciting. It really is wonderful. And I mean, oh, thousands of photographs. And, you know, my my process with this has evolved over the years as well, too, um, where they might not show themselves in the night sky because there is someone there that's really frightened. But mm-hmm. if you hold your phone up and just keep it on, you know, set to camera, and you see a light anomaly, you see something in the screen, then hit click 
and oh my God, what we have gotten. It's amazing, truly amazing. And, you but know, you they planted a, that notion in my relationship, head. Though. You really do have a special relationship with these Pleiadians. I mean, we've also heard from people who have tried to warn us off and say there are some alien races and they're not friendly to humans. So have you ever encountered anything like that? Let me put it to you this way. Nothing dark or evil dares to come near me. Um, I'm not, it it just, you know, I mean, it knows it's defeated before it even would try. And so I I don't have, you know, I don't have, I have never had a negative every, you know, whether it's the Arcturians or it's the Pleiadians or it's the Anunnaki or it's, you know, there are, there are so many races that are circumnavigating this globe that it would really blow people away. And I've tried to be delicate in the way that I handle it in the book. Um, and now that I've added in, you know, the the final chapter is this is it. Welcome to the paradigm shift. And so that's what I'm putting into the book. And then I will release it worldwide by the end of this month. Congratulations. Um, it sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but if anybody wants the color interior edition, uh, you have to get it from me directly because I have, I think, the one printer in the world that prints full color interior for me at no extra cost. You know, and I'm so grateful. Uh, yeah, they work very closely with my publisher. And um, I'm, I feel I'm so grateful, you know, because if you were to try to order it in color from Amazon, it would literally double the price of the book. It would make it unaffordable. So uh, for many people. So, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm so pleased to be able to announce on your air that we're this close now and that I have finally written, you know, the uh, extended version uh, and well, the extra photographs and stuff. So I'm, I'm thrilled about release, that. When you have a release date, please let me know and I will post it on our Facebook page and our website so that people will know where to go to purchase it and that it is available. Oh, thank so, you. We'd love to do that. And here's a couple questions for you, too, because the Pleiadians are quite interesting. And I've heard a lot about the fact that they give people like you, who they consider one of them, downloads, so that you could Mm -hmm. receive an entire download of information on many different levels. Have you had that experience? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Maybe I should say how many times. (laughs) Yeah. Ask me how many times I've been to an ear doctor to see if I have tinnitus, uh, which I do not. Um, Uh Yeah, for years and years I was getting that. I'm like, something's wrong with my ears. You know, what's going on with my ears? Nothing. Um, uh, I was just, I get these, uh, the, the longest download I had was during the writing of the book. And it was six days and nights to the extent that I had to learn to rehear through it to hear in 3D through it. And then I woke up one morning and it was gone. It was over. Um, But usually they last anywhere from, I would say, 30 seconds to two to three minutes. Um, And I've learned not to resist them when they come. They come in all different tonal ranges, some very sharp, high-pitched, some very low, almost dull sounds that come through, some very comforting, 
some rather agitating, um, and I don't know what information I am being given, but I will tell you this. When I am lecturing in front of a crowd, things come out of my mouth that I did not consciously think before I said them. Mm -hmm. And so I think I function as a conduit. I know that I function as a conduit in terms of taking people's pain. Uh, What I have learned from the writing of the trilogy is that when people read the trilogy, they suddenly feel liberated to tell their own stories. And I can't tell you how many times over the course of all the years and all the events that I've done where people will walk up to me and just, I just wrap them in my arms. They're crying before they even get to me. Tell me their deepest, darkest experiences. And I say the three most powerful words to them that exist in this language or any other aside from I love you. And that's, I believe you. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, give me your pain. Give it to me as though you're giving me a gift. Give me your pain. Give me the burdens that you have been bearing all these years and just give them to me. And they won't stay with me. They're gone. They're just gone right up into the ether. You're able to transmute that energy quickly. That's tremendous. Yes. Yeah, and what I speak words that I sometimes don't think consciously. Mm-hmm. So I think that the information that is being downloaded into my computer, i.e. brain, um, <clears throat> is coming through divine mind, the singular mind, um, and through consciousness. And that I'm just simply absorbing and assimilating it, and then it surfaces when it needs to. So I've learned to sit back and relax. If I'm working at the computer and a download starts, if I'm sitting watching a film and a download starts, I just close my eyes, I lean back, whether it be in my desk chair or on the sofa or even in bed at night, and I just lean back and I close my eyes and I breathe deeply and I let it in. I let it all in. I don't try to in any way to deflect it anymore. I embrace it. I love it, I acknowledge it, and I welcome it into my life because there is nothing that has been said to me, communicated to me, done to me, that has in any way harmed me. All it has done is enhance my human experience. And I know that there are a lot of people that work in the field that say, yeah, you know, the grays, they're, they're just scientists. They're humanoid, but they're also AI. They don't care if they hurt you or not. They were the ones responsible for the vast majority of the abductions. And then the Pleiadians and the Arcturians told them to knock it off, and that's why you don't hear about so many abductions anymore, um, because they love us and they want us protected, and we were being hurt. Some of us were being hurt. Um, I uh, I don't think that I've ever been taken against my will. I've always been willing, always. I think that the thing that I saw uh, at the farm as a, um, as a child was my first conscious recollection of my first sighting, but it was certainly not my first. Um, and I think that I came into this world just slowly and methodically and meticulously being prepared for the role that I have stepped into now. Uh, And it took all these decades 
for me well, to process all that information so that I could properly. Yeah, it is. And, you know, so that I could properly impart it so that there was nothing fear-based about it. You know, all human beings are fear-based carbon units. All of us mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. to some extent, to some level. Um, you, we all have fear. Most of us have fear of the unknown. Um, and so anything that we're not familiar with is scary to us. Um, I adjusted to that at the farmhouse very quickly. I did not feel a threat um, from what was happening there. My fear came around what was happening to my mother and predominantly to my sister, Cindy, um, that were both having experiences that I, I wouldn't wish on an enemy. I mean, there were some life-threatening things that happened. at the, um, right. But it was, uh, you know, so I just tell people, look, here's the deal. There's real evil in the world. I don't call it demons. I've never seen a demon. I don't know what a demon is. Um, you know, I don't even necessarily believe in Satan or the devil. Uh, sometimes I'm pretty sure hell is right here on Earth. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I do know that in, in the duality of 3D, there is the existence of good and evil. And even though they're intangible and uh, invisible, they exist in terms of manifestations of them. And so that is my proof, my empirical evidence for myself that good and evil exist in the same way that we titled the books House of Darkness, House of Light. My mother is the one that titled the books. And I asked her why that title, and she said, because it was both. It was both. And it was. You know, it was the most enlightening decade of my life. I'm not afraid to die because of living at that farmhouse. I know there is something beyond our mortal existence. Mm -hmm. And so I have no fear of death because this isn't a belief system. This isn't about faith. This isn't about conjecture or, or speculation. I know there is something beyond our mortal existence. I still can't tell you exactly what it is, but it is. Well, I know that we are not alone in the universe. This is not a belief system. This is not conjecture. I know because I have had experiences in my complete right mind with all my senses on high alert, I know, and I, I believe my own eyes. You know, when I see something that is quite inexplicable and quite amazing and totally extraordinary, it, you know, as my mother once said to my father, Roger, the existence of the spirits in this house is not contingent upon your belief in them. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Now, yeah, let me ask you, you know, Andrea, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts, yeah, you know, and matter. he's trying to, yeah, sorry, doesn't matter, doesn't it matter doesn't, to me, doesn't matter to so them. Funny. Yep. Now, Andrea, yeah. as you talk about the paradigm shift in your new book, which we can't wait to read and see all these beautiful photos that you have inside of it, but I do want to know a little bit more about it. Are you saying that the paradigm shift is about us accepting our galactic friends? that this is how it is. Is that what the shift is? No, it's not. It's not about accepting them. They don't care if we accept them or not. 
Um, uh, I guess the best way for me, this is about our spiritual ascension. And the question that I get the most from my readers who are devotional, like, I mean, they're just the most extraordinary people. So I get what you say about your listeners. Mm -hmm. They're tuned in, they're turned on, they're intellectually precocious, they're curious, they're fascinated. I get that because that's my tribe too. So, you know, welcome to my netherworld, all of you in the listening space out there. Uh, Cyberspace is so roomy, don't you think? It's just so so freeing. Um, um, but uh, no, it's it's not it's not that. Um, that's a part of it. But the question that I get the most is, okay, we're in a lot of. I'm going to paraphrase. We're in a lot of trouble down here. Where are your little friends now to help us? You know, I mean, just kind of like my favorite incarnation of the other question that I get a lot about living at the farmhouse for ten years. What the mm-hmm. hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> That's my no. favorite version of that question. <laughs> you know, why did you stay there for 10 years? Oh, my God, you know. Right. And there are 100 answers to that question. But sure. the the big picture answer is because we were supposed to. We yeah. were supposed to. And we were mm-hmm. supposed to have those experiences. And then 30 years after we left that farm, when the world was ready for this story, and the truth of our existence at that farmhouse. Only then did I begin to write the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a bell went off in my head. It's time. It's time. Here it is. And yeah. it was in uh, 2007 that I started writing the books. I published the first one in 2011, the second one in 2012, and the third one in 2014. And in between, there was a feature film, which, by the way, I knew nothing about when I started writing the books. And people ask me all the time, how did you get a movie contract? How did you get Hollywood interested in your work? And I'm like, I can't help you because they came to me. I didn't Mm -hmm. even, I I get a phone call out of the blue from a Hollywood producer. And I hadn't even told my parents yet that I was writing the book. Oh, well, it was supposed to be one book. It turned into three. Because the only, my my publisher said, Andrea, the only book bigger than this is the Bible. And we wouldn't be able to print that either. So, you know, it's 1,500 pages. It's a huge yeah, investment in time, yeah. you know, but but I, I promise you, my dear, well, you know, because you're into it, but, you know, you, you won't emerge the same person on the other side of it, no. and nor no. will you emerge the same person on the other side of a wonder to behold. You're going to dive deep, and when you come up for air, you won't even be the same. You will mm-hmm. be fundamentally altered by this story and it will have opened you in inexplicable ways and you will be having constant sightings and you will be having constant interaction with the galactic family and it will all be very pleasant and even pleasurable um, in terms of the feeling the sensation that arises in you what I uh, refer to as higher love love that is beyond our 3D oppressive modality here Uh, It's an entirely different feeling. It's completely, utterly trusting and liberating and just the most beautiful experience. You know, I'm only in 3D just as long as I have to be, and then I'm out of here, like most of the time. When I'm writing, I call it being in the zone. I mean, Mm -hmm. eight, ten hours can go by, 
at a time, and I don't even remember having gotten up for coffee or running to the bathroom or eating anything or, I mean, that time is gone. So I consider that lost time in the same way, time being a machination of, uh, you know, our own, you know, that's something that we created anyway. Yes, time it's is our really own construct, uh, definitely. You know, it is a completely our own construct, uh, and it's it's imperfect. I mean, that's why we have to add another day every four years to make it work. You know, I'm <laughs> come on. <laughs> if it yes, was actually exactly. real and really perfect, then it would work exactly the same way all the time without us snaggling with it. So, yes. you know, that being said, uh, but yes, I have had numerous experiences over the course of my life where chunks of my human mortal time is missing. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even witnesses to it. So um, it's it's very strange. I mean, it's it's a very strange feeling. I don't have recollections necessarily of where I go. You know, if I'm on a vessel, if I'm on another planet, if I got sucked through a wormhole, I don't know where mm-hmm. I go. All I know is I come back older and wiser every mm-hmm. time. And I had one experience once where I was living with my mother and my sister while I was still writing the books, the trilogy. And it was early, it was a uh, November or December, uh, really cold morning up in Georgia before I moved to Florida. And... um uh, my sister was getting up early to go to work, and her dog uh, at the time, Libby, needed to go outside. And I was up. I had just made a pot of coffee, and I had worked all night long. And I said, well, you know, I'm up. I'll just make the coffee, and I'll take Libby out. And I uh, took her out into what we call the playpen, that uh, big fenced-in area I put in behind her house. And <clears throat> I heard Libby uh, running around in the crumpled wrinkled leaves and she was fine she was out there um and i i took out my lighter and one cigarette because libby didn't like the cold and she would only just go out to do her business and then come right back in the house Mm -hmm. so i had my robe on and i lit my cigarette and then i had no recollection that was it it was gone everything was blank and when i came back my cigarette was gone and I panicked at first because I had just lit it and I thought I had dropped it down into the the dry leaves under the house. Oh, Never a good thing. No. And so under the deck. And so, of course, since I didn't want to burn the house down, you know, I immediately started <laughs> looking around for the cigarette and I could not find it. And then I'm in the backyard in the playpen, which is, you know, it's big, but it's not that big. And I'm calling, Libby, Libby, come, Libby, come, now, you know, and I was freezing cold. And um, I got, you know, really frustrated, and I walked back in the house. And I said, Chris, you're going to have to call Libby. She won't come for me. She just won't listen to me. And she said, Anne. And she stepped aside. She was in her bathroom, and the door from her bathroom into her bedroom she stepped to the side, and there was Libby sitting right beside her. And she said, you let Libby in a half an hour ago. I was just coming to get you because it's freezing cold, and I didn't understand why you were still outside. And then she really looked at me, and she said, what happened to you? And I said, what do you mean? She said, your hair is gray. 
your hair, I was kind of more peppered than salt at the time. Uh-huh. I, I was starting to go gray, but my hair had gone white, um, like white in 30 minutes. And oh my she goodness. just freaked. I mean, she got so upset, she started to cry. And she said, what happened to you? And I said, I don't know. And I, I leaned over in her bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I couldn't believe it. I just, I couldn't believe it. And I knew something had happened, but I didn't know what. And they kept my cigarette and it was a brand new one. So now I know they've got my DNA. And, um, and, um, and oh, then uh, my hair stayed hair. that way. It stayed that way for a couple of years, and then all the colors started coming back into it. And I never opened a bottle of nothing to put on my head. And now I'm back to, you know, salt and pepper again. (laughs) So I guess I'm reverse aging. I don't know. Yeah, that's so strange. Well, it sounds like they do all kinds of things with you, but have you ever thought of hypnosis or something to uncover more of the details of your missing time? Yeah, um, actually, I went uh, years ago, um, I went to one of the top hypnotists in the world, and he happened to be in Atlanta at the time, mm-hmm. um, and I went to his, he had a temporary office in a, a, a building called Colony Square, which is in Midtown Atlanta, it's gorgeous in there, and um, I made an appointment, and I went to see him. And it was $150, and I wrote him a check, and that was a boatload of money back then. And I wrote him a check, and I sat in his office and let him begin his process, which was a little unusual. But, I mean, world-renowned. I can't even say his name because he's still alive. And the story, I have to tell you, does not reflect well on him. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's, he's doing his thing and doing his thing and telling me to relax and breathe and do this and do that, which I'm following. All, you know, I follow directions very well. And, you know, I was doing everything he told me to do. And he finally just bolted up out of his chair and looked at me like I had three heads, like he was scared of me. And, and he just, he went, he went out into the outer office and he grabbed the check and he brought it back in and he threw it at me. And he said, I can't hypnotize you. You're not from here. We're done. Oh. And I was so hurt and so embarrassed. And so I felt so vulnerable. I was made so vulnerable by that. Um, And I went down into the parking garage underneath Colony Square, and I just sat there for about an hour and just cried. I mean, I was so upset. I couldn't even drive. And... um, and I didn't, I was trying to process what he said to me because yeah. it hadn't occurred to me yet that I couldn't be hypnotized and that I was not completely human. Um, and now I embraced that. I, you know, I embrace that completely and openly. You know, there are three markers, and I'm sure many of your listeners already know that, but there are three um, markers for hybrids. Um, and then there are different markers for what we call star seeds, you know, and all this vernacular is just, you know, really new in the lexicon, you know, all things considered new, relatively new. Um, but, um, hybrids are, uh, generally blue or green eyed, uh, generally firstborn or only children and almost always carry the RH negative blood factor. 
and I'm three right. for three. Mm-hmm. So you know, so the human blood does not mutate. The Rh negative blood factor was at some point infused into the human bloodline, and mm-hmm. it was incompatible with the human bloodline, which is why so many Rh babies died until they figured out that gamma globulin could actually, you know, break down the the, the rejection element of that right. blood type if the parents had incompatible bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I am, my mother is Rh negative, I'm Rh negative. I think all four of my sisters are. Um, oh, or no April kidding. was. All of you. And um, all of us blue-eyed or green-eyed, all of us. And um, and my parents have the most unusual eyes of any human beings that I have ever seen in my life. No um, their eyes change color uh, depending. That my parents have eyes that are, are like mood rings, and I do as well. My eyes change color frequently. Oh. Uh, depending wow. on my mood, depending on uh, what I'm thinking, even sometimes I'll walk by past the mirror and go, "Oh well, hello, you know who are you?" Because you know that's not like the, not the real color of your oh eyes. Or they'll get very again. dark circles around them, you know, rings mm-hmm. of black mm-hmm. around the blue. It's it's bizarre. It's it's very strange. But I've learned to embrace it and to love it about myself. You know, because yeah. I know I'm different. I always Sounds knew I great. was different. I always knew. And I just didn't know why. And now I know why. And I got to tell you, Patricia, it's a relief. It's a relief to know. Oh, I'm sure it is. Because now all the pieces fit together. So yes. it really helps with all of that. Because otherwise it feels like a puzzle that can never come together. So it's, it's Yes, good and a multidimensional to... one at that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like yeah. uh, Spock playing that chess game with all the different dimensions and how how hard that would be for us to wrap our minds around. But your life mm-hmm. is so extraordinary, and I bet they feel, the Pleiadians, that you're one of or their best pupil is the way it sounds because you you do go with the flow of all of this. So when they, like you mentioned, when they come in to give you a download, you just let it happen and... And you go to work on your books, and you provide all the, the information and great detail for people. I can't wait to read your book. I know I've got a lot of texts. People are waiting for this book because they want to read more <laughs> about the paradigm shift. And certainly we're all in the midst of this now kind of wondering, you know, what is going to happen next. So we want to know. And it sounds like you've written a terrific book about all of it. Well, I'm very proud of it, and I do believe it's it's the best work of my life, and I give them all the credit. I do. I truly do give them the credit. I mean, I wrote the bulk of a 500-page book in three weeks. Three weeks. It just poured out of me like I opened a vein. And, wow. um, and you know, and then, the you know, the editing and the adding in of photographs and the, you know, making sure that it had everything. And then it grew and grew exponentially. It grew. But the answer to the question that I get the most is, you know, why aren't they helping us? Well, they are. They are. But, mm-hmm. you know, they can't. We're stuck in our little 3D shell. Um, we are. We're stuck inside it, just like a baby chick in an egg. In fact, there's a, the... I think the best chapter in the whole book is only five pages, six pages long. 
and it's called the chicken and the egg. And, you know, it, it, the, the crux of it is that they can't crack that shell for us. We have to peck our way out of it um, or we won't survive in the same way that you can't break a baby chick out of an egg, its egg, or it won't survive because the amount of energy that it expends and is required for it to sway out of the shell is what builds its strength so that it can exist on the outside of the shell. And if we do that job for it, it won't survive. So that's one of the messages that I've gotten from them. And it's up to us to find our way through this. But they are shedding inordinate amounts of crystalline light on this planet and raising the vibration every day. Everybody thinks that the the planet is vibrating at a very high level now because of fear. Well, that's mm-hmm. true. But it's also because we're all, all of us facing our, you know, no one has immunity to this virus. We're all susceptible to it. And we're all facing our collective mortality in unison at once. So, yes, that raises the vibration of the planet. It's like... <clears throat> hitting the molecules with a lot of air. But right, the real right. the real motivation behind the raising of the vibration of the planet and the tightening of the frequency is actually because we're coming more into the fifth dimension. We are oh. transcending from third dimension into fourth dimension into fifth dimension. And I know well, you know this, Patricia, because oh, how yeah. many people in the last few months have told you that they're having supernatural activity around them when they never did before. Now, Andrea, we're running out of time, unfortunately. My gosh, we could continue this all night, but we can't. Look, time's an illusion, Patricia. I know. (laughs) I wish I could explain that to Blog Talk. But as we're winding down, we're going to have you back again because, again, there's so much more to talk about, Andrea. And thank you so much for joining me on the show tonight. We'll schedule you when that new book is out, and I can't wait. Congratulations, and thank you again. Thank you, sweetheart. I love you dearly. You take care. We'll talk soon. Give me a call. We're girlfriends. Call me anytime. Definitely. We're going to pick this up, (laughs) and everybody, we will see you next week. Until then, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.